This month's questions keep the fire roaring on these cold months of winter and a lockout. Today, we're talking about the worst super team in baseball history, which podcast I listen and subscribe to, and what the craziest stat in baseball history is. Today, on Rounders, A History of Baseball in America. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Rounders, A History of Baseball in America. I am, as always, your host, Jeff Lambert. A happy holidays to you and your loved ones. I want to thank you for joining us for another episode. And we are continuing an installment series that we started back in November called Monthly Mailbag. And the point of this is to give you, the listeners, an opportunity to submit questions or comments to me and have a chance to actually hear back on those in a public forum, as not all the questions I get are one-to-one types of conversations that we have. So uh, I'm very excited to take this time every month to be able to delve into what your questions and comments and discussion topics are. So please make sure to send them in. I'll always make sure every month to take time to do this. Last month, we had talked about topics such as team name changes. We talked specifically about the Cleveland Guardians. We talked about the origin of the name, the Cleveland Naps, and why the name was changed. And we also talked about what I considered to be the worst baseball team in history. So for today, we also have some questions from listeners that I've lumped together that have somewhat of a similar um, focus area. So If you'd like to submit a question for a future show, you can do that very easily. You can follow the channel on social media or on Facebook and Instagram at Rounders Podcast, and you could submit a message to me right there, or you could even drop a comment in a post. I always try and keep an eye on those things. You can also email me at rounderspodcast at gmail.com. That is an option for you to be able to send something in. And then if you'd like to actually hear your own voice on the show, In the show notes in the description for every one of our episodes, you'll see an option to submit a voicemail, and you can do that as well, where you can actually record your voice asking a question or making a comment, and I'll feature those as well. So you have three ways, really, that you can connect with me and be able to get yourself essentially on the show. So we're going to go ahead and jump right into our topics for today. Just a quick reminder, one way that you can help me this holiday season, two ways, actually. The first one would be just telling another baseball fan about the show, taking time to be able to just say, hey, I found this great show. I know you like baseball or sports. I know you like history. It's called Rounders. Here's a way that you can listen to it and tell them they can connect on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Amazon, Google, Stitcher. They can listen via the web. They can sign up for the email newsletter for free and get it right in their inbox. So just help me spread the word. That's the best thing. Second thing you can do is leave a review. That also is incredibly helpful. Uh, it gets us more visibility using the algorithms for these different platforms. The more reviews you have, the higher reviews you have, the better chance you have of getting in front of future listeners who are looking for the topics that the show is about. So just taking time to be able to say a couple sentences about the show is helpful. It also gives me feedback and opportunity to see what I'm doing right and wrong. So uh, leave a review. That's a great way to be able to get involved as well. And of course, as you've heard over the past couple of weeks, I have started a premium tier for this show. If you'd like to get an extra weekly show called This Week in Baseball History, as well as an opportunity to participate in exclusive conversations and to be able to get this episode ad-free and to have your name listed as a producer on the show, you can sign up for a premium uh, version of the show as a monthly supporter 
those options are in the description. I would encourage you to check them out. And uh, if you'd like to see the show grow, which I'm really trying to do as we head into 2022, I would appreciate the financial support as well. But hey, you're here, you're joining me, and that is what's important. So let's go ahead and jump into our first question. So our first question comes from Joe. He messaged me on Facebook, and this was his question. I'm mainly an NBA fan, but baseball is my second love. Basketball has had several super teams in the past few decades. What's the best example of a loaded talent, heavily favored squad that existed in the MLB? Joe, first off, thank you for your question. I appreciate that. So I delved into this topic, uh, you know, once I received the message from you. Uh, some, some teams did come to mind, but I really wanted to dig in and see, like, you know, I'm also a basketball fan, too, and I think it's a little bit more pronounced in the NBA just because of the shorter club uh, rosters, and they really put an emphasis on their players, whereas I think the MLB honestly misses an opportunity, especially in modern times, to really market their players as the face of the game. But, um, you know, the, the recognizable names and going to play together is something that, that really fits in with what you think about with the NBA. But with the MLB, we don't really think about that unless it's your team. Uh, and there's some notable examples where that would not be the case. So uh, I did some digging. And for my conclusion, I think the the worst super team in MLB history has to be the 1992 New York Mets. Now, why do I say that? I have some information to back that up. And if I have Mets fans listening, I would love to hear some of your feedback and comments about what you think about this, especially if you lived through it. This must have been a very very uh, traumatic, very uh, heartbreaking to see a team put together like this with the expectation of going so far, but not doing anything. So let's talk about the 1992 Mets. Who were they? Why are they the biggest uh, super team failure in MLB history, in my opinion? Well, look, let's go back to the 1991 season and kind of just check through what led into the 1992 season. So basically what happened is we had a situation where the 1990, excuse me, the 1991 Mets were doing okay. They had a lot of uh, good, solid, up-and-coming younger players. They had a great first half of, this, of the season, and then everything kind of collapsed in the second half. They ended up finishing the season with a 78-84 and 84 record. Uh, not horrible in terms of, wow, we need to tear this whole thing down, but it was a frustration for the club because it was the third year in a row that they had missed the playoffs. So there were changes that uh, felt needed to be made. The first thing they did was they fired their manager, who was Bud Harrelson at the time, and they said, okay, we're going to get a new manager and we're going to spend. We're going to get some top-tier talent in here to pair with our existing talent, and we feel that'll put us over the top. So just to give you some example of names that were up and coming with the Mets, you know, those already existing pieces that they felt could get them there. They had Howard Johnson, they had Vince Coleman, Dwight Gooden, David Cohn, all of these names they felt were foundational pieces, but they needed to go out and get some big name talent to put them over the top. And the Mets being a larger market club had the ability to do that financially. So in the offseason, after 1991, they went on a complete spending spree, making big moves to get some of the biggest names in baseball to try and make 1992 a World Series championship year. So what did they do in the 1991 offseason? They, they really did overhaul the team. They hired a new manager. They made several blockbuster trades, and they spent a lot on free agency. So let's break each of those down specifically. 
during the 1991 offseason, they hired Jeff Torberg as their manager. Torberg had a kind of a rising star popularity in the MLB during this time. He had led the Chicago White Sox to second place in the American League West in 1991. Like I said, he was an up-and-comer, and so the New York Mets felt he was the right guy to take over the franchise. So he was brought in as the manager. Then they just started to make some trades to uh, try and bolster their roster. The biggest trade that they made was they made a deal with the Kansas City Royals for their ace, Brett Saberhagen. Brett Saberhagen was one of my favorite pitchers. This was more towards the tail end of his career when he was on the Red Sox. I loved the grit that he brought to every single game, his ability to really strategize on what he was going to do on the mound from pitcher to pitcher. I thought he was one of the smartest players uh, in the rotation for the Red Sox during that time. But Brett Saberhagen was at really the peak of his career when he was traded from the Royals to the Mets during the 1991 offseason. He was the top pitcher for the Royals. He already, up until that time, was a two-time All-Star. He had won two Cy Young Awards. He was the wins and ERA leader in the MLB previously. He had pitched a no-hitter in 1991 during that season for the Royals. And so you can see why this guy really, uh, you know, if you're looking for an ace to anchor your rotation, Brett Saberhagen was the name, and the Mets went out, and they got him. And you may be asking, why would the the Royals trade their top-tier ace pitcher? Well, the Royals were looking to save some salary, and the Mets offered them a really nice package of prospects, which included, in hindsight, maybe not the best deal, but which included the Royals got Greg Jeffries, who turned into an all-star for the Royals. So things worked out nicely for the Royals in terms of what they got back. And the Mets thought they were getting a good deal by getting Saberhagen. Saberhagen didn't play incredibly well during his time in New York, um, but he was the big name that they got in the offseason, this blockbuster trade. They got one of the best pitchers in the league. Oh, man, this is it. Here we come. We're going to the World Series in 1992. So that's one move. Now let's look really quickly at the free agent signings that the 1991 offseason Mets made going into 1992. Well, <laughs> And this one deserves a episode unto itself, and it's actually in the pipeline, and we have talked about it on previous episodes. This is the offseason where the New York Mets signed Bobby Bonilla. Yes, Bobby Bonilla. He got the richest contract in National League history during this offseason when the Mets signed him for five years at $29 million. That was the largest contract in National League history up until this point. And it was well-deserved. Bobby Bonilla's contract, certainly, um, he had the numbers to back it up going into the 1992 season. Previously, he had already made the All-Star team four times. He was a silver slugger three times with the Pirates. So bringing him in, they felt that this guy was going to be their offensive workhorse. He was going to lead the team and make sure that they scored more runs than anybody else. So Bobby Bonilla was the big signing. They also added future Hall of Famer Eddie Murray. Eddie Murray had played with the Los Angeles Dodgers most recently before signing with the Mets here in this offseason. And again, big name. He was an eight-time All-Star by this time. He had won three gold gloves. He was a three-time Silver Slugger. He had already won a World Series ring. He had uh, led the American League in home runs and RBIs. So again, you're bringing in a big name, a little bit older, but certainly the pedigree to back up that he could really... Uh, be a key piece of the lineup. So we have Bobby Bonilla, we have Eddie Murray, 
And then also the Mets that offseason signed Willie Randolph. Willie Randolph they got from the Brewers. Well, I should say he left the Brewers to sign for the Mets. And Willie Randolph was a four-time All-Star. He was a two-time World Series champion. He had won the Silver Slugger Award just recently, two years ago in 1980. And in the 1991 season, the season leading up to this offseason, he was second in the American League in on-base percentage. He was third in batting average. He had batted 373 with runners in scoring position. So three big blue chip names were signed to the lineup for the Mets. They added one of the best, arguably best pitchers in baseball during this time to the lineup and Brett Saberhagen. And they had that young core, like I said, that they were already developing. So going into the 1992 season, There was this feeling, not just in New York, but by the commentators, by the journalists, that the New York Mets were the team to beat. They went out and spent a lot of money. They got some of the biggest names in baseball. So this was the super team. It was a foregone conclusion that the New York Mets were going to be the team that you had to beat if you wanted to actually uh, make it and get that World Series ring during the 1992 season. So we talked about them being the worst super team, so you can see where this is going. How did it go? Well... (laughs) During the 1992 season, this amazing club actually compiled a worse record than they did in 1991 before they spent all this money and brought these players in. Now, if you you go back with me, in 1991, the Mets had gone 78 and 84. For the 1992 season with the Super Team, they, they finished 72 and 90, so worse by six games. They missed the playoffs again for the fourth consecutive year. And I'd crunch the numbers, folks. They increased their payroll for the 1992 season. And remember, this is 1992. So just adjust those numbers in your head for inflation. They had spent $14 million bringing in these additional players to be able to get them to the World Series and win that ring. And they didn't even make the playoffs. And they they compiled a worse record than they had the year before. So that was the result of the 1992 Mets. Also, we know that Bobby Bonilla, who signed that monster contract during the 1991 offseason to come to the Mets, <laughs> they are still paying Bobby Bonilla to this day. We are just two weeks shy of 30 years since that contract was signed, and the Mets are still paying Bobby Bonilla. It's a contract story unto itself. If you're not familiar with it, I would encourage you to look it up. Um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's, it's crazy. They're going to be paying Bobby Bonilla till 2075. He gets two and a half million dollars a year. So the results of that season are still felt today by the 2021, 2022 Mets. So yes, the, the arm of history is very long. We see that the decisions made there by going out and spending like gangbusters did not pan out for New York. And that is what I consider to be the worst super team in MLB history. I'd love to hear your feedback on that, folks. Send me a message, email me, send me a voicemail. What do you think was the worst uh, super team in MLB history? I'd love to hear it. And Joe, thank you for submitting your question. All right, let's go to question number two. Question number two is from Jack. Jack also messaged me on Facebook, and this is what he had to ask. He said, So I see you're starting up a premium option for the show. Since you're asking us to subscribe to you, do you subscribe to anybody? Jack, thank you for the question. I appreciate it. Yes, I I am asking you to consider supporting the show financially. Uh, You know, there's a whole, I think, misunderstanding behind podcasts and what can actually 
uh, come from them financially, there's really two camps. You can either be someone who is massively successful in terms of listeners, so having a large general audience, and those make their money usually from ad spots. So you have companies paying top dollar, really, for um, for hosting you know advertisements on their show, i.e., you know Joe Rogan or somebody like that. That's how they make a good chunk of money. But when you're in a more specialized area like this, we're talking about baseball history, the, the, the crowds are not going to be that large. And so the advertising revenue is really not much to speak of. And the show does very well. I mean, we get thousands of listeners every month. I'm very happy to have that support. But to suspect that the ad revenue that I'm currently getting would uh, allow this to be even a part-time job, it's just it's not possible. And in 2022, I've set the goal of trying to make this a legitimate second job so I can quit my current second job. So that's the goal. But in order to do that, I, it has to be a mix of advertising and subscribers. And that lets me connect more with what the listeners, you, really want from the show. I want to talk about what you want to hear. I want to remain true to baseball and, and being a historian and kind of letting that be the guide for the show as opposed to allowing an agenda from a larger company be able to dictate what the show is about. So anyways, that's why we started the premium option. And again, I'd love your support uh, if you're willing to do that. But if you can't, that's fine. I appreciate you just tuning in and enjoying the show. Uh, just giving a listen, that's fine too. But if you can, of course, I would certainly appreciate it. So let me get to your question. Sorry, I went off on a bit of a tangent there. Do I subscribe to any shows? The answer is yes, I do. There are two shows that I currently subscribe to that I really enjoy that are podcasts and YouTube companion shows, but uh, smaller market, I guess you could say, or creator-driven shows. So the first one that I really, really enjoy, uh, this one brings me um, comedic pleasure every week, uh, something that that's the lighter part of my week when I need a laugh. It's a podcast called Comedy Bang Bang. Comedy Bang Bang. It's Basically, it's hard to describe the premise of this show, but essentially, if you like improv, then this is the show for you. It's hosted by a guy named Scott Ackerman. It's been on the air since the 1990s, I believe. It started off as a radio show, and now it's an exclusive uh, private show that's, that's a podcast. Uh, there was a show on Netflix that he had for a while of the same name where they actually gave him... Uh, the rights to create video versions of it. But yeah, it's an improv show where basically he brings on celebrities to interview them, but he keeps an open door policy about who can join the show. And there are always these individuals with crazy backgrounds and even crazier names who join the show. And it's usually a comedian. Sometimes it will be a celebrity making up this persona and taking questions on the fly. And it just turns into these hilarious conversations and situations. And you have these recurring characters that come back over time. And there's just so many funny bits that have developed over the years. And it's always the highlight of my week. Just makes me laugh every time. So um, it's not a show I would watch with the kids. Uh, it does contain, you know, at least adult language on a regular basis. But if you're looking for a, a funny show to turn on and you like improv, this is the one for you. Comedy Bang Bang. Now, they just started a premium tier called CBB World, where for a certain amount of money a month, I pay $7 a month. For CBB World, you get access to not only the main show, but all of these extra shows from these characters that have been created over the years. And so it gives you kind of this exclusive content library if you're really into that uh, set of characters from the main show. So that's one that I pay for every month. Like I said, it brings me a lot of joy. There's so many characters that I've seen uh, be created on the show over the years and that keep going, and now they have their own shows. It's it's good stuff. So I would recommend them for a pom comedy podcast, excuse me, 
but they're one that I pay for. The second one that I pay for, I'm a very uh, political person. I really enjoy and spend a lot of time reading the news, listening or reading political commentary. Uh, I love political debate. Uh, I have chosen this show to not be a place to espouse those views because as a historian, I believe that bias is important to try and eliminate when we're trying to look at something critically and we're trying to present the facts. And this show, to me, it's really important that I try and eliminate those biases that um, exist when we're talking about history and trying to politicize some of these things. So um, I, I don't give my political opinions a lot on this show, and that's by design. If you listen to some of my first episodes, like maybe the second, third, fourth episodes when I first started this, I inserted a little bit more political commentary into it, and I decided to stop that because I didn't think this was the place for it. This show, to me, is about history. It's about telling stories and really about the love of the sport. My opinions, I guess you could say, on uh, the politicization of baseball, um, not interested in discussing it on this show. But with that said... Um, I really enjoy reading the news, watching the news. I try to listen to balanced political commentary. If I listen to a liberal commentator, I try and balance it by listening to a conservative commentator so I can get both sides of the um, perspective. Uh, one show that I really like that I think does a good job of sitting in the middle that I think brings both sides to a fair discussion about topics that are happening right now is a show called Breaking Points with Crystal and Sager. This is a YouTube show and a podcast. You have someone who is right-leaning and someone who is left-leaning, and they try and discuss topics that are of importance to America as a whole, but um, outside of kind of the, the rhetoric that you see from hard left and hard right and trying to looking at, well, what's best for the country, what's best for the average American citizen. Now, both come from different sides of the political spectrum, so I think it balances out the conversation. I really enjoy them. I think they're one of the most well-balanced news commentary shows out there. Breaking points with Crystal and Sager. I pay them $5 a month because I really enjoy their commentary and I get access to, you know, uh, bonus content, commentary, conversations, um, Q&As, things like that. And I enjoy interacting with them. So those are the two shows that I spend money on, that I support, that I enjoy what their creators are doing. And I try and give something back. So I'll put links to those in the show notes in the description if you're interested in checking them out. Again, two di very different things. One of them is comedy-based. One of them is uh, news or current events or political-based. But if you're interested in either of those things, I would highly recommend you check out one of those shows. So, Jack, thank you very much for your question, and um, thank you for your support. Let's go to question number three. This question is from Antoine. Antoine sent me a message on Instagram. His question was, what's the craziest baseball stat that you know of? Well, there's a lot of options I could certainly throw out there, Antoine. Um, uh, different ones came to mind when I first thought of your question. And then I thought, you know what? Let me kind of try and string this out a little bit more to see if there's a set of crazy baseball stats that have some sort of connection. And so in doing my research, I found some crazy stats that can all be tied back to one source. And that source is none other than Stan Musial. The Stan Musial connection is what I'm calling it. So I'm going to present to you some crazy stats that all connect back to this gentleman, this Hall of Fame baseball player. 
Now, if you're not familiar with Stan Musial, he was a catcher for the St. Louis Cardinals. He played from the 1940s to the 1960s. Very long MLB career. This guy was a 24-time All-Star. He won three World Series championships, three MVP awards in the National League. He was the seven-time batting champion. Uh, He's a retired number for the St. Louis Cardinals, obviously. He was inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame in 1969. First ballot Hall of Famer, too. So Stan Musial, like I said, one of the greats in baseball history. Certainly, if arguably not one of the best players during his time as well. There are a lot of interesting stats that connect back to him in terms of just crazy coincidences. So let's go through some of those. The first one I want to present to you is Stan ended his career with 1,815 hits at home. He also finished with 1,815 career hits on the road. The exact same amount of hits, both home and away, throughout his 24-year career. That's crazy stat number one connected to Stan the Man. Number two crazy stat, Stan Musial was born in a small town called Donora, Pennsylvania. Stan Musial is not the only famous baseball player to come from this town. He actually shares a birthplace with none other than Ken Griffey Jr. And to blow your mind a little bit more, Stan Musial played baseball with Ken Griffey Jr.'s dad in high school. Yeah. And just to add to that story, unlike other, well, many other white players during this era, Musial did not have a problem with integration in baseball, and this showed at a very early age. So according to biographer George Vesey, who wrote a a very good book about Stan Musial's life and career, he said that Musial once had joined his high school basketball teammates, and they decided that they were going to uh, threaten to forfeit an upcoming tournament that they were involved in because there was a hotel restaurant that they were scheduled to stay at. They wouldn't seat one of their teammates, who was an African-American, Buddy Griffey. That's Ken Griffey Jr.'s dad. So the entire team, led by Stan Musial, said, we're not going to play in this tournament if this is the type of treatment that one of our teammates is going to receive. For the time period, we're talking about the 1940s, early 1950s here, of course, not something that every uh, major league player is going to stand up for, future major league player is going to stand up for, but Stan did. So the crazy connection here is that he's from the same birthplace as Ken Griffey Jr. As an aside, just discussing uh, who he was, I guess, as a person, and who, what he stood for and his relationship with Ken Griffey Jr.'s dad, which is, again, a, just a crazy connection across generations. So there you have it. Crazy stat number two connected to Stan Musial. Crazy stat number three. Stan is the only player in MLB history to win the Triple Crown and have it taken away. Let me explain. Stan Musial hit a home run in a game that qualified him for the Triple Crown. And that happened in 1948. So Stan thinks that he's qualified for the Triple Crown. Everyone's kind of going nuts because he's made this uh, very rare achievement. And then the game gets rained out, the same game that he hits that home run in. And the game didn't meet the minimum to be able to count the game as a win or a loss. So the home run was nullified. It was taken away. And because of that, that left him one short behind current league leaguers, Ralph Kiner and Johnny Mize. So we have, unfortunately, Stan hitting that home run, (laughs) having it taken away because of when the game was called. And that 
allowed him, or I should say, took away the uh, the ability for him to be able to claim the Triple Crown that season. Only player for this to happen to in MLB history. So there's crazy stat number three. And crazy stat number four for Stan. In 1963, he became the all-time hits leader in the National League. He recorded his 3,630th career hit in 1963. And that hit uh, that got him into the record books. It was a line drive that went off the glove of second baseman Pete Rose. So Pete Rose almost got the out, went off his glove, recorded as a hit, and Stan Musial breaks the record. Well, fast forward with me 18 years later, Pete Rose is the one that broke Stan Musial's record in terms of career hits in the National League. So we have the guy who gave up the hit breaking the record later on, breaking Stan Musial's record. So there you have crazy stat number four. So there is a connection there, and the thread was Stan Musial for all four of those. So I think that for one person combined together uh, really puts together the craziest stats in baseball history, all attributed to one person. So uh, one that I really enjoy, and I hope that you can do. You can drop that off at your uh, holiday party coming up and impress the baseball fans in your life. So... There we have it, ladies and gentlemen. Three questions I usually answer for each episode. Uh, remember, if you want to be able to submit questions to me for January's uh, Q&A for our monthly mailbag, you can do that by emailing me, by following on social media, or leaving me a voicemail. All the links and information for that are in the show notes. I would love to hear from you. And from my family and my house to yours, I want to wish you a very, very happy holidays. Stay safe. Stay celebratory. Enjoy this time with family and friends. And I will see you on a very short week, actually. We're going to have another Christmas episode coming out here at the end of this week. I hope you enjoy that. So until we meet again, have a safe and happy week. And remember, there are only two seasons, winter and baseball. Mm -hmm.